Hello, Charter Folk. <laughs> what a fun thing it is to have the opportunity to work on something like Charter Folk. And you conceive of an idea, hey, I think we're going through a period when it would be good if we could find a way to get more oxygen into rooms where Charter Folk are because we're going through a period of particular challenge. Uh, and, um, and maybe there are some people that would be great to hear from who've specialized in bringing oxygen into rooms. And we then reach out to Linda Brown and Linda says she'd be happy to do it. Um, and then it turns out to be such a phenomenal conversation that I got all these emails and other notes. Oh, it was so great to see Linda again. Be great to, uh, to see Linda even more. And so I reached back out to Linda and said, hey, Linda, what do you think about another trip to the oxygen bar? Because as we're making this up as we go along, I realize, you know, there's more than one lung that needs to be filled full of oxygen. We got two. And so it makes sense to me that we would come back and do an encore with Linda Brown at the, at the oxygen bar. I reached out to Linda and she said, oh, Jeff, I've got so many other leaders I'd love to introduce you to. So Linda, thank you for uh, being back for our uh, visit again to the oxygen bar. I wanted to just start by, you know, acknowledging uh, that, you know, I would say in our first conversation, you took me to the woodshed. Um, and that woodshed was, Jed, I disagree with your use of the word persistence, right? You had these other words, you know, which was just, um, I think the word that you used most frequently was was stubbornness, right? We're yeah. just gonna push on. We're gonna find a way to get through this, right? And so what I wonder is, um, could you just, before you bring your guests in with you, can you just talk about your own personal stubbornness a little bit more? Can you just, where does it come from? And when you find your stubbornness, if it's ever wavering in you, is there anything that in particular that helps you stay anchored to it? That's a very complex question. It has a lot of layers on how, how do I hold on to being stubborn? I really do think some of it comes with age. I think the older we get, the more we um, the, the more we can stomp. We can put our foot down and say no, or that's not the right way. Let's look at this way. I don't think I could have been part of the partnership of the fellowship at Building Excellent Schools if I was 20 or 25. I think being middle to late aged um, has served me well and I think has served the program well. And I'll take it back to your question about stubborn. How do I hold on to it? Because I see that it works. I mean, I don't, mm. I, I, and, and our, our guests will attest to it because they were leadership candidates who went through a very long, over a year, over a two-year process, and now have their own school. They'd have their own school. And I will say, in case you charter folk don't remember, we are talking about charter schools. That doesn't mean you own it, but you lead it. You're, this is a master class in leadership. And so the people that I'm happy to bring to you, Jed, and to the Oxygen Bar are people who are strong, who believe in themselves, who know how to walk, they know how to talk, they are they are leaders, and that's, that's what we look for. And that's part of being stubborn, I guess, it's being firm, firm. 
Well, I, I, um, I'd love to hear it from you. However you um, can, can articulate what it is that you do. Um, each time I hear you tell it, uh, I learn something new. So thank you. Uh, but Linda, please feel free to bring in your guests. I'm really excited to, to meet them as well. Yes. I want to introduce you to, I was going to sing, but I don't have a good voice. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to sing uh, The Sun Shines Bright, Big and Bright, Deep in the Heart of Houston, Texas. <laughs> and um, I met Kaylee Colombero, uh, how many years ago now, Kaylee? Five years ago? Uh, or more. And uh, it's a, it's not a long story, but it's a, it's a story about this Kaylee, this Kaylee, I'd never seen the name before, Kaylee, and we were recruiting and it was a Sunday and I said to one of the uh, leadership directors at that point, let's interview her. And I gave you a call, Haley, and you had just done the three and a half hour trip from Boston back to your hometown in Massachusetts, right? Right? Yep. Yep. Okay. And I said, would you be willing to come for an interview? And then when I said, today, you hesitated a little bit and you got back in the car and drove three and a half hours back to meet us at a diner. And we left after brunch and I looked at the, at Stephanie and I said, she's in this, this, this. This woman has it, and the it is grit. Uh, we really did. I mean, not all fellows have the grit, but the two that you're meeting today are just full of it. They're full of the grit. They, You can hear the gravel under their feet as they move. Uh, <laughs> and if, if they have hints about how they got through, the, how they are getting through the pandemic, and I know some of them, and I won't tell, but I think Christina and Kaylee can tell. Where's Christina? Is she hiding? Uh-oh. Hi. Hi, Linda. How are you? Doing well. We told stories about you, and I'm going to get out of the way so you can tell stories about each other and also about the wonderful school with a fabulous name, Etoile. Mm. Yes, and Linda actually was a was a part of choosing that name. Basically, chose it with me um, when we were trying to figure out what we should name a a school in Houston, Texas. And you know, being from Massachusetts, I asked Linda for help, and we came together and, and got that beautiful name. One question before I get out of the way: uh, Why did you go to Houston, Texas? It's a great question. Um, I was immediately drawn to Houston of all the cities that you and I had talked about, um, in part because I was uh, drawn to the idea of supporting um, students and families in an area where they didn't have a lot of choice and a lot of options, um, and where the current option in their neighborhood was not meeting even just minimum expectations, particularly for middle school and, and even around safety and culture for middle school. So. Um, having grown up in, in Massachusetts where the public ed system is pretty pretty strong compared to other states and where the per pupil revenue is pretty um, vast, uh, I really wanted to go somewhere where um, 
in some ways it was even more challenging, but even more necessary to support students and families in their journey in K through 12 education. Christina, what got you into this business? Well, Linda, as you remember, I was already here in Houston. I'm originally from New York City and I had done the Teach for America program right after graduating from college. And they placed me here in Houston in 2010. And I worked for the Houston Independent School District, so traditional public school, for about seven years. And I somehow learned about building excellent schools. And um, I just remember thinking, wow, this would be a great opportunity to be able to create a school that's similar to what I had in my classroom or different than what I experienced when I was younger, uh, which I yearned for as you know, a first-generation American experiencing the American dream and all those things. And so when um, I got in contact. I think, Linda, you did something very similar to Kaylee, where you said, hey, come to Boston tomorrow. <laughs> and it was a no-brainer um, just because of the amazing opportunity. And yeah, I, I wanted to, to build a school here in Houston because I had started my professional career as an educator here in Houston. And I just saw the gaps and the things that we needed to bring to students in order to affect change. And so um, I decided that Houston was where the school needed to exist. Kaylee and Christina, can you talk about what are the things, are there three big things you can pull out that you have done or modified or created from scratch to get through yourselves and the kiddos, as Kaylee calls them, I will follow suit, get through the pandemic or pandemics. I don't know if I have three off the top of my head, but I can say one, which is having each other. Um, we both having been BES fellows um, and had the same training and you know, have visited the same schools and also have vast networks from doing BES of other school leaders that we can reach out to and say, like, you know, what are you doing? And so I'll never forget when everything happened. We were actually at one of our staff members' weddings. It was a Thursday evening. Earlier that day, the local districts had said, it was right before spring break, and the local districts had said, we're not going to shut down. We're going we're gonna to keep going until spring break, and we'll evaluate after spring break. So Christina and I are at our staff members' wedding, and and we everyone starts texting us that the local districts canceled the Friday before spring break because of COVID. Um, this was two years ago, and so we were like, I said to our staff members, "I'm so sorry, I have to go home because I have to start messaging families. We have to like, you know." And so you know, we both left, and we got the message out that we would be closed Friday, and that we would kind of circle the wagons and, and let people know exactly what to expect moving forward. And I think it was Monday that Christina and I were on the phone of spring break, like, how do we get laptops out to every kid? How do we come up with a PD plan? What day are we starting? And so working with Christina all of spring break, we were able to get laptops to all of our families over spring break. We were able to plan a one-day professional development with teachers the Monday after spring break and start live and virtual with kids Tuesday after spring break. Um, and we had deployed hotspots, laptops, everything. And so it was honestly wild. And I can't imagine doing it without Christina and without just like a partner to, you know, and she, and she just did a phenomenal job of running this PD for teachers. She had teachers making great YouTube videos, like all this great stuff. And 
um, really it was overnight, but when you're in that moment, I think for both of us, it was just like, how do we support our kiddos and our families right now? Because this may feel jarring and shocking to us, but it feels 10 times more jarring and shocking to our kids and families. And so whatever we can do to provide, you know, hey, guess what? School's starting on Tuesday, even though it's in your living room, you know, um, that felt, I think, really urgent and really important to us. So my, my big thing would be having Christina as, as how we were able to survive um, the pandemic and then also just trying our best to give consistency and, and quality education still to kids and families. Yeah, I think what I would add, everything that Kaylee said is absolutely true. There were so many obstacles, but I think with Kaylee supporting our school in a way where we live true to our mission, right? Like we now know that we are virtual. We now know that we don't have the access to our students that we previously had. We now know that our teachers are going to be frustrated because they now have to teach in a way that we never taught them to teach before, but now they need to convert right away because our students can miss out. And I think that us recognizing that we already have language barriers. Most of our students are um, of immigrant families. We have financial barriers, but now we add this technology piece where students now need to learn how to connect to Wi-Fi. They need to learn how to use Gmail. They need to know how to use Google Classroom. And these barriers just kept coming in. Every single day we learned the new, there was a new glitch that we had to figure out or a new system we had to clean up. But I think working in conjunction to Kaylee was just so so amazing because we were able to troubleshoot everything. Like literally from the minute we woke up to the minute we went to sleep, we were troubleshooting how to get every student on. Our attendance was probably the best it had ever been when we were remote just because we were so relentless around, hey, we don't have our bodies in our building. We will make sure that we can see their faces because especially us running a middle school, this is such a critical age where mental health and emotional health is just, everything right and we knew we needed to support our parents support the entire family and so we just had a fire like we would be exhausted at the end of the day we're like wow our necks really really hurt but it was one of those things where we knew we would not let this pandemic stop what we created and that's exactly what we did right now we're still cleaning up right what the pandemic has caused but we are very confident that we're going to continue moving forward and we're going to make sure that we keep the oxygen in our tanks because our students need us and our families just need us to be ready every day for them that's terrific that is a fabulous fabulous note here and um was there one point christina was there one point in which you looked at each other and said, this is not, this, they, they have to come back into the building. We're losing them. We're losing the gains that we made. How do we get them back in front of us? Yeah, I think where Kaylee and I realized, I think all educators realize like students are really good at playing video games, but that does not translate to learning math over a computer, especially when students already have significant gaps. The majority of our students come to us in fifth grade and Kaylee will tell you at least three to four or five grade levels behind. And so 
we saw that gap widen academically. Yeah, our students were signing on and we saw that all over the country, but it's just not the same to not have your teacher editing your paper right in front of you or having your teacher see that you're struggling. It's a lot more difficult to see struggle over a computer. And so when we saw that our data was not accelerating the way we were accustomed to, that's when Kaylee and I started to worry and we said we have to return back in person because if not all the work that we put in into our students um, was just going to regress. And so we have big goals around how many of our kids need to go to college, how many of our students need to go to uh, top high schools. And we saw those dreams that we had literally um, be in jeopardy because we saw that students that normally were very high capacity, they were not performing. Students that were already struggling, they struggled even more. And that's where I think Kaylee and I had like a oh crap moment. <laughs> would you want to add anything to that, Kaylee? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, that was so the spring we were all virtual because everybody was. But that fall, I think we were probably one of the first campuses, at least in kind of the network of folks that I know to say we're we're starting in August with open campus. And so we started with about two classrooms. Um, this was last year in the fall. We started with about two classrooms open. Everyone else was still virtual. Um, and those quickly filled up. Um, a lot of our parents like needed that support. We're so grateful for that support. And then a lot of our high needs kids really took those seats right away. And then we went to five classrooms. And when we got to five classrooms, Christina and I had a moment where we said, we got to flip back because we were running a virtual school with some kids in person, right? And so we were like, but now we have most of our kids coming in person. We got to run an in-person school with some accommodations for kids virtual. And so we we had a whole nother PD with our teachers where we said, how do we, let's prioritize the kids in front of us and still provide some access to the kids at home. And then the minute we did that, we got to about, um, by the spring of last year, we were about 75% of kids on campus. Um, we're probably one of the only campuses where 90%, over 90% of our students sat for the STAR test on campus. Um, and and so, you know, we, we just really ended last year with the momentum of, you know, in-person is what we know works for our kids and our families, and we've got to return to that. And then this year we did not, we opened the school year not even offering virtual unless students had diagnosed um, COVID and they had it for a period, a period of time. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, I think, I don't know, I'm not keeping time, but I think um, we have so much more to say and maybe we'll be invited for a follow-up. <laughs> but I think, um, I mean, I think this adds a lot of oxygen to hearing <laughs> your voices and the spirit that both of you have and you tell the story of how the pandemic, it, it hit you hard. What's the total total enrollment right now? We have 345 students in fifth through eighth grade. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And what percent of them are on campus? A hundred percent. Thank you. <laughs> well, this is amazing. This is amazing. Um, Linda, I am reminded of, um, you know, our last conversation and, um, and your use of that word stubborn. And as I was Reflecting on it afterwards, I realized I hadn't made a connection in that moment, um, which is that, you know, above my desk here, I hang right here a poem. Um, and I don't know if you can see the title of it, but it is called Stubborn, right? 
And it is um, a story, it's a poem uh, written by a professor of mine at, at, uh, at college who tragically lost his uh, three-year-old son um, who was walking in the street and was hit by a car. And this is a story of him driving home one day and encountering a, a toddler playing in the street. Um, and he stops his car and he picks the child up and he walks until he can find the child's parents, right? Um, and then in the poem, it's you know him realizing on the way home that he's going to be stubborn, that he is going to write about this too. Um, and he worries that maybe he may be trading his life for words, but he knows that it is work come clearly saying, go and write, do what has been given to do. And if it has been given in grief, accept it there where you may see whatever else is given, right? Stubborn. People who are stubborn do whatever is required in that moment and they go on. And what we see in you, Linda, and what we see in the people around you are folks who recognize that there are things that need to be done. And we may not wish to have to accept it there, but if we do, and if we push through it, we see that there's something on the other side. It's actually a, another side that is full of oxygen. And it's a place where we meet stunning people like you who continue to inspire us. So to all of you, uh, Kaylee and Christina, it's my first time to have met you. Um, it is my role to try and uh, help you guys however I can. So just know, uh, whatever I can do, just beat on me. Uh, and Linda, you know, you're just a blessing for us. You're a treasure for us in that you keep uh, helping us all understand more deeply what we're doing and find even deeper commitment to go after it. So thank you all. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.